The following was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Sarah Harper is the special guest speaker. So when I used to meet with couples for marriage counseling, after I heard a little bit of their story, and I'd hear of the issues that are causing fights and power struggles, and before we went too far into the first half hour of me talking to them and getting to know them, I'd ask them this question. Do you have in your house a two-year-old or a 13-year-old? Or God forbid, which does happen with couples who have been married about 15 years, both a two-year-old and a 13-year-old. In all of us, married or not married, there is this thing that causes us to engage in power struggles with each other, which can lead to disharmony in our relationships. But for some reason, the ages of 2 and 13 seem to be the times in our life when that thing is, like, maximized. There seems to always be the presence, uh, to some degree, small to great, of bargaining, negotiating, arguing, crying, discord, unexplained emotional outbursts, and just your standard crazy flag raising when you have both of these ages in your house or either of these ages in your house. And don't, don't get me wrong because these ages are actually awesome. Learning and discovering are at peak moments. But in that learning and discovering, there's also these power struggles that are unbelievably exhausting. The amount of emotional energy it takes to live one hour with a two-year-old or a 13-year-old, and, and this is just my opinion, this is not scientific, it's just my observations, it's enough energy that you would need to cover that conversation you keep having about your household finances. So what I would tell the couple is, is it, you guys might not be the problem, or you guys might not be the whole problem, you are just emotionally exhausted, power struggle fatigue. You can't have a normal conversation anymore in a reasonable way because you have used your reserve of emotional and mental strength explaining to your two-year-old that you cannot feed Legos to the dog. They are not food. It's just power struggle fatigue. So now you can't have the, the, the important conversations and they end up in arguments. When my granddaughter was close to two years old, I kept having to tell her, don't touch the TV set. She liked to touch the TV set and watch it do that weird, you know, line, that tube line. And I'd say she'd touch it. And I'd say, Leah, don't touch, don't touch the TV set. She'd touch it. I'm like, Leah, you're, you're leaving fingerprints all over, the, all over the TV set. Quit touching it. And one time, she's standing on her little stool. She's standing there, and she looks right at me. She goes... All five fingers on the TV set. It's like, so I, I had to stand up, walk over. I flicked her hand, and I said, don't touch the TV set. And I'm expecting now she's going to lose it. She's going to start crying. She pulls her hand back, and she goes, okay. She steps off the stool, and she goes on her merry way. It's like, power struggle. Mimi won. <laughs> Leah. But it's like. They just do this. It's like, oh, you think you can tell me what to do? 
And the look on her face, it was like she even had the... <laughs> so anyway, I know about power struggles, but and it seemed that these, cus- these, these couples that were just exhausted, it's like, you have a two-year-old in your house, don't you? You have a 13-year-old in your house, don't you? So last week, Jesse referred to the practice of the rulers of the laws, the Pharisees, they would pad God's laws with protective man-made outer laws so that with enough layers, their hope was as you would never even get close to breaking the law. Now think about the movie Footloose. No dancing. Because dancing leads to touching. And touching leads to, you know. <laughs> I had a friend... An adult friend, this was recently, she would not, could not, didn't know how to play cards. Gin rummy, crazy eights, cribbage, nothing. Because where she grew up, cards were of the devil. They were from the pit of hell. All card playing was equivalent to gambling. They had padded the, 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 the no gambling law so much that she couldn't even play gin rummy. And we had this group that would get together once a month, and we never, ever played cards. We would do cornhole or horseshoes or darts, but we never, ever, ever played any kind of cards. So the Pharisees, the powers that be, they would insulate the laws, make it untouchable, unreachable, so that that their followers don't even have to contend with the actual sin. It'd be like a, a simplistic example No Legos allowed in the house. In order to avoid the conflict and problem of the poor dog pooping Legos for days, you just declare, no Legos will be near my child. Not at grandma's, not at friends. If they have Legos, they either go up, they go out of sight, or we don't go over to your house. The power struggle, the original conflict, that's averted, right? But see, the problem what that is, is you, now you've created another struggle, another thing to struggle over. It's watered down, and now it doesn't make sense. You now have a 10-year-old who gets a box of Legos for their birthday from a friend, and mom flips out and declares, no Legos are allowed in this house. It's still a power struggle, but now it doesn't make sense. Now... Mom looks like a crazy person. Over and over in the gospel stories, this is what we read about. Jesus is contending with the powers that be. They're in a power struggle about rules and laws that are so far away from the original intent, so layered that they're crazy. And so I'm going to read one such story. It's in Matthew This, it, it talks about the, the constant struggle that Jesus had as the Pharisees, they would pitch these rules at Jesus, and they want to they wanna see how his reaction is, and he would always have to try and bring them back to the truth. He was constantly in this power struggle, bringing them back to truth, back to God's heart. He says, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, 
If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Keep the Sabbath holy, Jesus. Follow the rules when you're performing miracles. <laughs> the law had been so insulated that standing in front of them is the Savior that all the prophets talked about, the Messiah that they had studied about from infancy, the very Son of God. And all they can focus on is how we can take this guy out. Remove him so he stops undermining our authority and breaking our rules. Never mind that he just miraculously restored a man's shriveled hand. All they saw was defiance of their standing, of their power among the people. He was not giving them and their rules the respect they felt they deserved. And here's what's most crazy about it. They knew he could heal this guy. They knew he would heal this guy. They set him up. They were trying to trap him. They challenged him to defy them. They put all their faith and devotion in their perceived power and authority. And it blinded them to the truth of who Jesus was. They're so wrapped up in their rules that they figured all holy and righteous people would view these layers of laws just as we do. Because Jesus didn't, they landed in the only place that made sense to them. He's not faithful like us. He's not one of us. He has to go. Think of the look on the face of your 14-year-old daughter after you've just told her, no, you're not getting on the back of that motorcycle with that 16-year-old boy. And at her face, as she says, you don't know anything about love. You don't understand anything. She's put her faith in the perceived notion that this boy loves her, not to mention she's going to get on the back of a motorcycle with a guy that just got his motorcycle license. And she's trying, she's defying you to prove otherwise. She knows more about love than you do. How do you even begin to explain what you know to be true to her? How do you do that? And to me, it's like that's what the Pharisees looked like. Jesus is like, oh my gosh. He's put in this similar power struggle. How does he even begin to explain what he knows to be true? In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, the Pharisees are defying Jesus to explain why he allows his disciples to eat before doing the ceremonial washing of hands. So in Mark 7, they ask him, you know, how come, you don't, how come your disciples do this? And he replied, 
Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God, and you are holding on to traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. There is frustration in his voice. I think there's frustration in his words. He is speaking truth. He's pleading with them to open their eyes and see where they have misplaced their faith. It's no longer with God and his word. It is now solely in their tradition. Their faith is in their tradition, their rules. It's in their perceived power that they are desperate to hold on to. Their power is in being right or righteous in their holding traditions to a T. The power over the people and their faith and their tradition has become this stronghold that is keeping them from the truth that is standing right in front of them. Like the girl who's telling her parents what the truth about love is, the Pharisees are trying to tell God what his word says. These stories we read are such a gift because they're for us to see the character of God and the habit of humanity. The habit of humanity is that we misplace our faith. We wander away from the truth, and we engage in power struggles with God, forgetting that he is the one who has the power. The relationship between power and faith is this. God's power responds to our faith in him. It's not the other way around. Our power responding to his faith in us, right? Apart from him, we have no power. The Pharisees are trying to show Jesus his place to recognize their power for him to validate them. And it never works that way. We want what we want, and we want God to bless it. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The habit of humanity is to deny that God is who he says he is. One layer at a time, we get into these power struggles with him when we are so far away from the truth that we can't see that we are wrestling with the creator of the universe. Like the rulers of the law, we can put our faith in something other than Jesus and not even know we're doing it. We think there's power to be had in this thing, and it's anything that we rely on, anything we think we need to survive, anything we think gives us power. With the Pharisees, it was their position of power, their knowledge of the endless rules, that their belief that they were righteous in all that they did. But for us, it could be food, drugs, identity, money, position, 
status. It could be people. It could be our kids. We put our faith in them. And on some level, we believe if we didn't have this thing, we will lose everything. And the truth is, and we know this, we know this, they are empty, powerless to save us. Just like the layers of rules the Pharisees put around God's laws, the layers became their God. Their power to enforce the layers is where they put their faith. They will defy God himself to hold on to their perceived power and call their faith righteous. This faith cannot save them. In the book of Jeremiah, in the Old Testament, there's a story of a king, a king of Israel, Jehoiakim. And Jeremiah has given him a warning that his kingdom is in serious danger if he continues in his disobedience to God and God's call on his life. And, and Jeremiah has wrote in a scroll, and he has gotten this to the king, and it goes like this. Whenever Jehudai had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Even though Elnathan, Delian, and Jeremiah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. If I burn it, make it disappear, then it doesn't exist. As if the scroll is the power source, not God who spoke the word. The king defies God and says, I'm still in charge. I can do whatever I want. There's no power struggle here, nothing to see here. Now, you can imagine it didn't turn out that well. If you read the rest of the story of Jehoiakim, it didn't, didn't work out like he thought it would. He put his faith in his own will, his own power, his kingship. And the question for us today is, where do we put our faith? Do we recognize when we are in a power struggle with God? God's power responds to our faith in him and him alone. When our faith ventures away from him layer by layer, when we are insisting on living by our own power and wanting God to put his faith in us, we must recognize the craziness of that direction. I look at the Pharisees and I think all self-righteously, all smugly, how can they do that? What's wrong with them? But in reality, therefore the grace of God go I. It's a decision not to fall into that trap. It's an awareness that we are prone to go our own way. It's a decision every day to put my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Ephesians 6.10 is a play-by-play -play instruction of what we should do when we sincerely want what God wants for us when we sincerely want to live by his power, when our faith solely relies on him and his word. 
It shows us how to stay close and don't let the layers and traditions and our own will keep us in this power struggle with God himself. It starts out like this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in its place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. I'm going to ask my friend Joe um, Preciado to come on up here. I'm going to, I want to do a visual. He's a deputy sheriff here in Ventura County. And I want to have the visual of the army, armor that he uses to protect himself and look at the parallel that, that God is saying we can protect ourselves with. So it starts with, the belt of truth. Put the belt of truth around your waist. Now, what, what's this belt? Uh, so this is uh, a patrol belt that every officer wears. Uh, and as you've seen, uh, some officers now have vests. But again, we actually have all this around our waist. Uh, this is something that's mandatory. There are certain weapons that need to be on here, certain systems, certain equipment that needs to also be on here. Uh, the only thing, of course, that I don't have in here right now is my gun. But uh, that definitely goes with me everywhere I go. So this is part of my utility belt, especially when I'm working patrol. All right. All right, so the, the, the belt of truth. So we are told the first thing we put on is the belt of truth. All right, now the next thing is the breastplate of righteousness. So this breastplate, what does this protect? As you can see, uh, and as you've seen on the movies and you've seen on the news, uh, typically this is now we're doing a little bit more high risk. Maybe we're doing some type of gang intervention, drug intervention. Uh, right now I'm currently assigned to detectives up in Ojai. So anytime we serve search warrants, we do stuff like that, anything that's going to be high risk, we know we're going to go and it's going to be dangerous. Uh, now, instead of having a vest underneath my shirt, I now have an actual uh, protective vest, a better covering or breastplate, if you will, uh, to help from anything that's being shot at me. And so the breastplate of righteousness, this is our right behavior, our right standing in God and, 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 and putting God in charge of our heart to protect our heart. Okay, now we got the shoes fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. You don't wear flip-flops when you um, serve a search warrant. No, uh, actually, I, when Sarah told me to do this, I thought, you know what? I just got off work this morning. I've been working 12-hour shifts. I didn't want to bring my boots, so I figured I'd wear the ones that I have. 
And, and let me just say, yeah, let me just say about the boots, uh, really when it says, you know, being ready, run into battle, I mean, we can think of uh, all kinds of incidents that have happened in our, in our uh, United States, 9-11 uh, being one where officers and fire ran into the buildings where everybody was running away, and that's truly what it is. We, we are the last defense, we are the last stands, and it's truly because we're there to protect all of you. Yep, and so you got to have the right, the, the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. You've got to be ready to preach the gospel of peace. You've got to know the gospel of peace. Okay, the next thing is the shield of faith. So, what's your shield? So, I, I brought two this time. So, one that Sarah can have so she can hang on to it. Really? I get to keep this? <laughs> no, no. Really. But I would totally use it. <laughs> <laughs> then I'd get arrested. So, if we understand truly what the shield represents, uh, the shield for law enforcement represents uh, people looking for that, that's, uh, that sign of hope. When they know you're coming, they think they're going to be okay. And that's what we represent. That's how we're an ambassador uh, for going into a situation, making sure it's going to be okay, helping other people feel like, okay, if I can get behind that breastplate, if I can get behind that shield, if I can get behind him or her, uh, those amazing officers and the people who do all this stuff in the line of duty, uh, I'll be a lot safer. Yeah. And the shield, you know, it's the hope, and it's also the authority. It's where we, we put this is authority. By the authority, they can show you that, and then you have to comply. Just as our, our faith, that's where we put our authority. Where do we put our authority? Where do we put our hope? You know, what things are, are those? So, so another thing I wanted to add... Uh, for Sarah, I told her uh, this is what I was going to have this time. Uh, again, the last time we actually did this was several years ago, and I didn't have one of these. I've recently upgraded to have this, so now I'm a mobile unit if something happens. Again, we're talking like officer-involved shootings. Uh, we're talking school shootings. Uh, you know, Wherever these things could happen, now it's uh, just because the progression of times and the way things are, I've actually upgraded now. So this is more so my shield now that I stand behind and people get behind. And the shield of faith, and it catches the fiery darts that are hit. Where, where do we put our faith again? All right, and now we have the salvation, the, the helmet of salvation. So this is protecting our, our minds. And uh, I'll just put it on, and I'll take it off real quick because uh, it's kind of big. But uh, being, in the, uh, being in the military... Uh, I'm actually getting some more. Uh, we're actually getting new helmets. They're going to be a little bit more smaller, streamlined. But again, what's the purpose of this? It's to protect our head. For those of you who have ever been in uh, sports, football, uh, bicycling, uh, whether it's skateboards, whatever, there's always something that you need to use to protect your head. Well, in law enforcement, of course, we need this uh, as an additional cover because, again, we're trying to protect ourselves as much as possible. And it's the same in the spiritual realm. Uh, you're always, again, putting all the different armor on to be able to protect yourself, and you never want to go uh, without something. And this is the helmet of salvation. Where does our salvation come from? And if we are putting it in our own thoughts, in our own mind, you know, that will not save us. That will not save you. All right, and then the last thing is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That would be your missing... Uh, Actually, it's not. Uh, you know, when uh, Pastor Sarah asked me to do this, what did I think? I kept praying, kept praying, and said, okay, God, what is it? Is it really my gun? And he said, no, Joe, it's not your gun. Uh, then I said, well, is it the way I speak? Because truly, this is the last resort. Uh, there's thousands of incidents I could tell you. My 25 years doing this, 
I could have gotten in a fight. I could have gotten a shooting. Something horrible could have happened. But then I thought it was my mouth. And, and God said, no, Joe, uh, truly the sword is your Bible. It's, it's the word being carried in your heart, mind, and your soul. Uh, and uh, just, can I tell him right now? Uh, just real, here, I'll hold this. Uh, just real brief, uh, talking about the sword. Uh, again, I asked uh, Pastor Sarah, what can I talk about? And she says, hey, you got five minutes. Just talk about whatever comes to your heart. I really prayed about this, and it was amazing how the Holy Spirit works. When you're, when you're one with God, when you're, even if you're struggling and you don't feel like you're doing well, and you're just in the game, you're in the fight, uh, you don't sit on the sidelines. Uh, God wants you in the game. He doesn't want you lukewarm in your marriage, in your life, in your, with your kids, uh, at home, at work, uh, in your neighborhoods. What are you doing to actively be in the game? Because uh, that's the way God wants you to be. And I was, I was listening over there, she said, about couples and struggles and things. And it's amazing because... God said, Joe, just think of how many times you've been on a traffic stop, hundreds and hundreds of times and nothing happens. And you think, okay, 101, I'm going to make that traffic stop again. Nothing's going to happen, but I let my guard down. I don't clothe myself uh, with the armor of God, my heart, mind, and soul. It's the same thing with arguments. I'm married. I have kids. I've been there through the two-year-old phase, the 13-year-old phase, and my 27 and 24 and 10-year-old phase. I mean, it keeps going. But if we think about it, if we don't continue to clothe ourselves in that righteousness, in God's righteousness, and understand it's not about us, it's about how he works through us. Uh, If I was to just take off one or two of these things, and I went into the most dangerous situation you guys blurred out, I'll stand, I'll go, I'll have a rifle, I'll have my guns, I'll shoot, I'll probably take people down, but midway through I'm not going to make it, because I'm not fully clothed. And that's your lives. That's, that's the struggle we're in. That's the evil that we deal with in this world. And some people don't want to wake up and see that. And I see it all the time. I see it in my career. And one of the things I'll just talk about real quick, uh, being a detective, there was a shooting recently up in Ojai. For those of you who know, it just happened this Friday. Uh, being detectives, I had to go up. We had to be in the middle of it. I ended up interviewing the girlfriend. I ended up interviewing the suspect who's now in custody. Uh, I did about almost seven, six, and seven, six and a half hours of interviews. And uh, it was a 12-hour shift. I was up for almost 24 hours. And you have to understand, every single time when I go into an interview, I am seeking the truth. Not my truth, not what the law says, not what the courts want, not what the world sees as the truth, but what he sees as the truth. And time and time again, because I clothe my heart, mind, and soul thinking, I got to be prepared going into whatever it is I go into to seek the truth and to seek it righteously, it's going to come out. And time and time and time again, Uh, because I go in with that attitude, guys and gals around me say, how do you get these people to talk to you? Because I say, it's not about me. It's about him working through me, me being a conduit. And the sad reality is, and I can't tell you details because it's an active investigation, everything else going on. The gentleman I talked to was actually very thankful because the truth came out. He was trying to hide. He was trying to conceal. He was trying to maneuver around. He was giving excuses like we do. I've done that. I made mistakes. I have tons of mistakes. I couldn't even tell you. So he was trying to do this. And, and under the circumstances of what happened, again, it's, it's not me that's in the room. I don't know how many times the uh, power of the Holy Spirit has stepped into every room and situation that I want him to go in with me. When it's about me and I lead and it's God falling behind me, it doesn't work that way. And I love the way that Pastor Sarah said that is it's our power through him, and that's how we get propelled forward. It's uh, our power with him and just kind of moving along. It has nothing to do with that. I have to truly be humble and remove myself completely and understand that I have to be clothed 100 million percent in him. 
and be humble enough to say that. I'll, I'll tell you honestly, there's times where I say, God, I'm struggling right now. I'm going to sin. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to blow it. Please take this from me. That's me being humble enough as I'm getting dressed and saying, God, I'm going to blow it. God, I'm going to blow it. I put on my, and I think, okay, it's going to happen. And all of a sudden, it doesn't happen, and I cry. I cry because I was weak. I knew going in I was going to mess up. But I ask him for help. And he does it. This situation I just dealt with, and I'll end on this note, I ask God, put me in both of those rooms. I'm not a major crimes detective. I'm the felony detective up in Ojai. That's their ball game. I'm just a supplement. I said, put me in both of those rooms and let me find the truth for you. And you don't understand. If you understand law enforcement, if you don't, I shouldn't have been in both of those rooms. I was in both of those rooms and the truth was told because I prayed about it before I left. So thank you. Thank you, Joe. I, I love this visual because this is what Paul was going for in Ephesians when he says, put on the full armor of God. You cannot rely on your own abilities. You cannot rely on your own power. You cannot rely on your own strength. Put on the full armor of God. And I love, if you forget the very first thing, if you forget the belt of truth, because that's, I think, the key to the whole entire armor of God, if you forget the belt of truth. And this is true when I've got these couples sitting in front of me. It's like, what's the truth here? Let's put the truth on. You know, as you guys are struggling, it's with the two-year-old. What's the truth? It's with the 13-year-old. It's with our friendships. It's with our whatever power struggle, but with God, too. What's the truth? You forget that belt of truth. You don't have the breastplate of his righteousness. You have the breastplate of self-righteousness. You have the helmet of, of saving yourself. You have shoes fitted to talk about yourself. You have a shield of faith in whatever it is that you're relying on. If you don't have the truth, then the, the, the last one, and do we have that? Put that cool picture up. The, you know, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word. If you don't have the truth, you don't have the word. So you're missing the two bookends. And so everything in between. And so my, my hope is for us is that we understand that embedded in our faith is the truth. It has to be the truth. You always want to get to the truth. When Joe is, is interviewing people, he wants to get to the truth. When I'm talking to these couples, we just want to get to the truth. And we want to be humble enough to, to accept what the truth is. The truth has to be embedded in our faith. And we've got to put our faith in the one who can save us, which is Jesus. Went to a funeral on Friday. Some of you were there for a 39-year-old woman, mother of four, beautiful life, family of faith. And it puts, puts everything in perspective. As I'm sitting there, it's just, Get, talk about perspective. What am I fighting? What, what are the power struggles that I am having? And, and what's the truth? And so I just, I just, I want to 
encourage us to examine where do you put your faith? Where is your faith? Becky's, Rebecca's up in heaven now. She put her faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm just, I implore you, that's the truth. The belt of truth is the first thing. Put that on first. God, we just thank you. You are our salvation. You are who we put our faith in. You are our righteousness. You are the truth. You are the word. You are everything about the armor of God. It is you. Help us to see when we're walking in our own power, when our relationships with our kids, in our lives, in our thinking, in our hearts. Help us, God. Help us to see the truth. Help us to wrap our faith around the truth and know that we love you and we put our faith in you. Guide our steps. Holy Spirit, go before us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Sarah Harper was the special guest speaker. For more information about New Church, go to N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. The website address again is N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you and yours.